Hello and welcome to the Rebooted Open Fire podcast sponsored by Franklin Risk Management Services, a new series of podcasts focusing on the fire safety industry and tackling the current issues facing responsible persons in the commercial and residential sectors. My name's Dave Calvert and my co-presenter is Tom Gilbert. Hello David, how are you? Hello Tom, how are you? Uh, I'm very excited again. You've got a nice tan this week. Have I? Have you been away? I might have been away, but it wasn't sunny. It rained. Oh, was it? Where have you got? The, you've been on a sunbed then? Yeah, it was a sunbed. Where, where did you go? I went to. Um... Are you allowed to tell us? <laughs> I love the way you make it sound like I'm in Mo5. <laughs> no, I'm not allowed to tell you. I, I went to Italy this week. Okay, lovely. Was, was that a holiday? No, it wasn't. It was work related. So mm-hmm. I spent lots of time learning about Italian fire regulations, which are obviously to a much. Higher standard. Well, according than ours? to Russ Timpson's last episode, they're doing it a lot better than us. What was oh, your I'm opinion? Not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think they are. I feel like you're uh, sitting on the fence there a little bit and don't want to tell us what you really think. <laughs> well, I've got another week of looking into it and then I'll tell you next week maybe how horrible or not those regs might be. What have you been doing this week then? Apart from buying horrible t shirts, make you look like Axel Rose's lover. So I wore this because I know you like whiskey. Just for the listeners' sake, I'm wearing a fairly standard Jack Daniels number seven black t shirt with white writing. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the thermal underlayer, I'm not sure about. The long sleeves uh, poking out of it. It's to try and make me look slimmer. Black's it's w- supposed to be very slimming. It's working. <laughs> good, good. Well done, you. Is anyone in the office today? I'm glad we don't put this on YouTube anymore. It's not my office. Is there anyone in the studio today, Dave? Uh, There are. Today, we're going to be talking to uh, Clive Miles from CLM and John Powell from Frank and Risk Management uh, about fire risk management business. But before that, I think we need to... If you remember from last week, um, our news correspondent, Lucy, said she was going to be reporting from Mexico. What's going on in the news this week, Lucy? Well, according to The Independent, Whirlpool has admitted 800,040 tumble dryers could be at risk of catching fire. How many? 800,000. Okay, is that a percentage this time? (laughs) (laughs) Approximately. Okay, we've done some research this week then, have we? All fire-related this week. Good. Good. Um, Next, Peppa Pig has been accused of stereotyping for using the word fireman. Instead of fire pig, presumably. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Fire sow. (laughs) (laughs) Who complains about that? Uh, oh, London bet. Fire Brigade, I believe. Well, of course it was. Fireman Sam's also going through the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's always getting told off. I don't understand it. Well, the thing is, when he was originally created, it was all right to say it, wasn't it? Fireman. Fireman Sam. He was also Welsh, which was okay to well, say Well, he is a well. fireman, isn't he? he? He. Well, no, he's not. He's a firefighter. firefighter. Yeah, but he is a man. That doesn't matter. Does That's the role need to be gendered? Your gender stereotyping. See, this Dave. is why we need um, someone from uh, Women HR. in Social Housing to come and, or from HR to come and educate us on these matters. But I, I would agree wholeheartedly. And then lastly, according to the BBC, most young children fail to wake up to the sound of a standard smoke alarm. Yeah, that's not news, though. We've known that for years, haven't we? Hang on. Can you say that one again, Luce? I just want to take that. Most young children... Yet most young children fail to wake up to the sound of a standard smoke alarm. Yeah, it's true, Dave. Hmm. So for children aged between 16 months... Well, most of them probably wake up to a normal alarm clock, don't they? It's to do with the sound frequency. Yeah. Do you not know that? You've been leaving your kids asleep for this long while you've gone out to the pub. You didn't know they wouldn't wake up if the smoke detector went off. Well, I'd have to put a smoke detector in first. Well, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed. 
Right. Is that all the news for this week, Luce? That's all for this week. Okay, thank you very much. Where are you going to be next week? She's just checking just so her phone man knows for her what... BA flight. Where are you going next? Egypt. 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 That's going to be an easy one for the sound man to... Uh... <laughs> That's some sort of Egyptian music, maybe? Yeah, probably some sort of mark, bustling market, <laughs> I guess. A pyramid, sound of a pyramid. Sound of a pyramid in the wind in the <laughs> desert. Okay. One Thanks. of our guests just clicked his watch. He can't believe what's going on, Dave. <laughs> okay, so who have we got in the studio this week, Tom? Uh, we've got Clive Miles, as you said, and um, and John Powell are here today. Apparently, he's talking about virus management. Um, so I guess we'll go to Clive. Hello, Clive. Because he's not been here before. Afternoon. How are you? Yep, really well, and thanks for having us on the show. I mean, in, in my defence, I didn't have a choice, Clive. Dave, Dave invited you. <laughs> Tom's no. been trying to get out of the podcast for a few months now. Indeed. No, I really like Clive. He's a sensible, sensible man. So, Clive, can you um, start off by telling us a little bit about CLM fireproofing, the sort of works you're focusing on at the moment? Can I just ask, Tom, how you know that your children won't wake up? So, they did a study. With a fire alarm. Now... There's something to do with one of our universities over here, and I believe a university in Australia. That would be my, yeah, I think it was Australia, and it was all. It's all about the frequency of the sounder that's built into a smoke detector, and it doesn't. It's not enough to rouse you until you are about fourteen, something like that. So, in reality. Kids don't wake up when smoke detectors go off. And I've tested it. I have actually done it in my house. <laughs> and they don't wake up, bless them. I didn't test it by setting fire to the house. I just pressed the test button. They don't wake up. So how much of a risk is that? In general, the children won't be sleeping alone, would they? Well, on the, on the assumption that your parents or guardian is going to be there, as long as they wake up. Yeah, that's the point. And they're presumably not going to leave the children there. Yeah. I mean, they could, they could change it, but I think there's something to do with the size of the smoke detector. I mean, because you've got to imagine that when they build these things, they will have... It's not like they didn't know. They they must have worked that out at some point. And then they've said, well, in order for it to be that frequency, people who are 80 won't wake up or people who are 50 won't wake up because your hearing drops off. So they probably said, who do we not want to hear it the most? People over 50 or people under 14? Then they probably said, we'll go with people under 14. That would be my guess. But yeah, it doesn't really present that much of a risk mm. unless you're out when your house catches fire and your kids are at home. So that's just irresponsible, right? Right. Yes, we agree that that right. is irresponsible. So anyway, today we're going to try and talk about fire business management. Um, yeah, if we could ask the questions, Clive, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, CLM fireproofing, we uh, are passive. We work in the passive fire protection market. Um, we like to think about ourselves as the leaders in that market. Uh, we specialise in the uh, structural fire protection as well as the compartmentation. We work traditionally in the commercial uh, sector and more recently in the last few years have transversed over towards the housing um, market. There's plenty of work going on over there, isn't there, at the moment? Absolutely. So has Grenfell modified the amount of work you're getting or the type of work you're getting? Grenfell has... um, There's been two impacts to Grenfell. Pre-Grenfell... No one could care less about fire protection, I think it would be fair to say. Or it was a tick box for people. So as long as they had someone on board that could do it for them, that's that's all they cared about. Since Grenfell, now everyone wants to know the ins and outs of everything. They want to read everything. Um, and they've all of a sudden become experts. Uh, the other thing it's done is it's opened up a completely different sector 
in our industry. So yeah. you, you never had this, um, what we class as fire safety or remediation projects. Uh, they didn't exist. All we had was new build, which is what we focused on. Um, and consequently, what you've ended up is up with is all existing stock, you know, all old buildings, or well, not even old buildings, but anything pretty much up to a year ago have got issues with. Yeah. So you're literally finding it in 100% of the buildings there's some sort of problem. that you're Obviously, you're being drafted in. Since Grenfell, we've been asked to do quite a few surveys, and it doesn't matter how old the building is, we're finding problems. Okay. And, and that's a, a combination of poor workmanship originally or the fact that the, the buildings have undergone um, changes over the years and nobody has bothered to, to look at what effect that's had on the, I mean, that, the compartmentation. That, I mean, that obviously is quite damning, but I, I think that's also quite a widely held view as well. Hmm. Um, just to bring uh, John John Powell in as Thank well. You, Dave. Uh, hello, I John. Did, I did wonder whether I was coming <laughs> on or I should leave. Um, so, John, um, it's sort of in a similar sort of a parallel sort of um, level to Clive. You've set up um, Franken Risk Management Services yep. about 15 years ago? Yep, about 15. Um, yep. So sort of a question to both of you. Um how do you see that the industry has changed for good or for bad in the last sort of 15, 20 years? Uh, when I say the industry, I'm, I'm talking more specifically about the fire safety industry and how clients um, recognise their responsibilities. Okay. One of the reasons that I, I set up um, the risk management business in, in Frankham um, was because um, prior to that, I was working uh, with a major tier one organization and dealing with a lot of um, uh, compliance related issues that most of that business um, we, we were dealing with um, sort of major risk issues it be it people risk or uh, looking at finance risk operational risk um, and through the work that I was doing I was identifying that there was quite a lot of um, problems associated with managing compliance um, I thought that there was a need um, for the industry really to focus more specifically on that. So I set up Frank and Risk Management um, to, uh, at that time, to look at um, the asbestos-related business because it was around the time when the Control of Asbestos Regulations came out in around 2002. And um, there was clearly a drive then for industry to start to get its act together around managing asbestos and under the duty to manage. Um, but very quickly, we found that fire safety was another area of compliance that needed to be be addressed. And then we looked at Legionella um, and looked at electrical safety and gas safety. And all of those areas, we were finding that clients were, um, they, they weren't looking at them as an integrated um, compliance model. They was dealing with them effectively as sort of um, like horizontal things. So they'd look at fire safety across their portfolio. Um, then they'd look at asbestos across their portfolio. Then they'd look at Legionella. Yeah. But they weren't looking at the building in its entirety. And so um, asset managers were commenting on fire safety in terms of the number of assessments they've done. So it was more like how many assessments do we need to do? Have we done all of those assessments? And it, um, they so weren't actually... much more the, the, the numbers game than the yeah, actual risk absolutely. game as such. Yeah. And, um, and what we found over, I found over the last 15 years is that 
um, well, initially a lot of clients were, when I went to them to say to them about changing their, their approach, they, 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 often the comment would come back would be that um, it's okay, we've got this in hand, we've got some people that deal with that stuff yeah, um, and they didn't need us to, to get involved with them. But quite clearly what we found over that period of time and what's come out particularly since Grenfell is that we're identifying how poor um, a lot of these compliance management issues are. And um, so it's it's been, I think I've seen over the last 15 years a deterioration in terms of the way uh, properties are managed around compliance. So, I mean, we always said in, in when I worked in the social housing market was that a lot of these organisations, strategic risk management across all of them would, would benefit if these organisations just switched the news off because generally they don't spend more on safety, you know, you know, different risk disciplines. They tend to have the same budget. They just very, they're very focused dependent on what people are thinking at the time. Yep. So, you know, you get a decent asbestos release and all of a sudden that particular business doesn't concern themselves about fire in the same way that it did. Big fire like Grenfell Tower and obviously the social housing market are focusing on fire safety predominantly more than anything else. And probably in other risk disciplines, what's changing around maybe water risk management, how's asbestos risk management changing now? Everybody's focusing on fire safety and spending huge quantities of money on remediation. Com compliance management historically has been um, about reacting to an incident. Yeah, uh, We saw that with, with Lacanol um, when... You know, when the fire happened at Lacanel, uh, immediately overnight um, there was a big call for fire assessments. A number of organisations uh, got named and shamed you know, yeah. by the BBC for not even having forest assessments on their high-rise and high-risk residential buildings. Yeah. Um, and there was an immediate call to market for forest assessments. And all that did was to drive... Um, anyone and everyone out there that had a yeah. pad and a pen that could go out there and say that they could do a risk assessment and they would go out and do these assessments. Yeah. And the upshot on that was we got a whole load of fire risk assessments which were not suitable and sufficient because no. they were being carried out by people who didn't have the competency to do them. And, and that's what we tend to do as a market. And Grenfell um, has been no different. Um, a major incident like that creates some big panic within the sector and then suddenly overnight everyone is rushing around and they're throwing money against um, decisions that are being made by some people that are probably um, ill-informed to make those decisions. Yeah. Interesting. So um, just to sort of tap in on the, the, the business experience of both of you chaps, I don't want you to um, reveal all your... Um business secrets well yeah i do actually um so so if you could revert back to when you were uh, uh clive went just a fledgling business and kind of starting off from your living room or or however you you initially started when you had your uh, company horse if, if you could uh, sort of go what 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 would you have done differently in those early stages that you kind of with experience now you look back on and you think yep that was the key that really kind of um sort of got got the got the company moving in the right direction it's it's a difficult one because I, I I'm not sure there's 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 very much that I could do very differently um, since I've been in the industry. It's all been run by cost, and and what I've seen in the last 
30 years is the, the industry has been driven down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, typically on a, on a new build project, your fire stopping uh, value is anywhere between half and 1% of the build cost. It consequently gets given to the junior surveyor who is trying to make a bit of a name for himself. He's probably got four weeks to deal with one package and, and he, he, he literally goes out to the market and drives that price down uh, as, as far as he can. Yeah. Um, what you end up with is we've ended up with a sector full of um, one-man bands. Um, there aren't that many big companies that are out there doing it doing it properly. So you, you've got a lot of what we'd say up to £2 million a year companies. Um, and they're the ones that the market is using predominantly because they're, they're, you know, they can afford to do it for the cheapest. Yeah. What, where the, where the, the difference has occurred is with Grenfell, uh, and all of a sudden now everyone's taking it a lot more seriously. Uh, the tier one contractors are no longer looking at dividing the, the, the uh, responsibility of their fire protection in their building up between the different trades. They're now looking at a standalone fire company that can give them the reassurance and the accreditation that they re- that they need going forward. Um, and it's not costing them anymore. It's just it's just thinking about it in a, in a little bit more um, a little bit more seriously. And it's a little bit more work for them rather than you know just saying to their dry liner, "Well, you're responsible for that," and the block work guys, "Well, you're responsible for." anything going through your walls and and so on they're just giving it to one company now to to, to, to make to be responsible so the big changes have, have have been in the last two years the the review that um, Dame Judith has, has done has moved into a second phase in terms of um, looking at sort of competency um, for um, and you know, all of the trades that are working in not just fire um, fire stopping um, and they're, they're actually, um, Don Judith um, initially recommended looking at 10 specific areas, uh, but that's now um, um, been extended to 13. Um, and two of those um, is looking at procurement and products um, and looking at the people that um, are actually procuring those services mm. um, and making sure that they have the right um competency levels and experience to be able to procure the right thing because it's trying to focus away from um, um, driving that price down, understanding what's required in those buildings and then procuring the right expertise to ensure that we're getting the outputs that are needed. And I think that's a real positive that's come out. There's going to be what's termed a procurement lead uh, for particularly for high-risk residential buildings. Um, and the level of competence that that procurement lead needs to have is is what's being recognised as um, comprehensive, which is at terms as a level four, and um, that is um, that procurement lead needs to operate through all of the ROB stages uh, to ensure that the right people are being procured with the right skill sets to deliver all of the fire safety aspects. Of that buildings. I mean, we're already seeing it with some of the tier one contractors that that we deal with. Um, much senior, much senior guys are dealing with the procurement of the fire stopping mm. and, and the fire protection, and we're we're also partnering with a number of tier ones where we're getting involved at design stage now to help them design any issues they may have. Yeah. So that when we, we were designing arrive at on stage five, right? Yeah. 
that's what we were designing it when we arrived on site. When we arrived, there's a hole. Go and design it, yeah. and you're like, yeah, it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, that that applies to everything, doesn't it? With and so with some of the work we're doing and, and partnering with some of the, the companies we're partnering with, we're we're involved probably a year, two years before we were going to be on site. Yeah, and we're looking at those issues, and we're we're taking our expertise and and our experience, and we're saying to them, you know, you've got to think about doing this slightly differently. And yeah, definitely. Because by the time you get to site, it's too late. Oh, it's always too late when you're on site, always. And I think, for me, that's where the problem with existing buildings exist. Because in the existing building situation, where you're going into a purpose-built residential block, say, for example, it was built in the 60s, for argument's sake, to go and install some passive fire protection that the fire risk assessors identified, you turn up on site and you're turning up with a van full of bat, right? You're not turning up and, you know, well, I say you, but generally the market isn't turning up to look at the problem, design it, get the design approved mm. and then install it. You're, you're saying, oh, you've got, and that's the fire risk assessor's fault, I think, in, in a lot of cases, because the fire risk assessor, I don't think fully understands passive fire protection design or understands the, the REBA stages, or understands procurement, and to some extent doesn't necessarily even understand the certification required to install stuff. And that's why you, why the whole pink foam thing has happened for the last decade, because the, the competency is just not there. You're right. I mean, in existing buildings, you know, if we turn up to do some remediation works, it might be that actually to be 100% compliant, you've got to start moving ductwork and you've got to start moving services. And, yeah, exactly. you know, you've got to start making so many alterations that actually you're better off just yeah. knock the thing down and start again. But you quoted me £5 a hole, Clive. Hmm. You know, that's the problem. And that's where, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, Clive didn't quote me £5. You're £5. £5. £5. Yeah, depends on the size um, of the hole. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, quite often, um, insur these sort of changes are led by the insurance companies um, in the industry to a certain extent. Are you sensing a change in the insurance parameters of, of any of your work involved in the, the sort of fire sector? Um, PI is becoming a real issue. Um, the premiums are going through the roof. I mean, yeah. as, a, as a passive fire protection contractor, I think we only started taking out PI three or four years ago. That was when people started asking for it. Um, I'm still a bit uh, confused as to where that lies with us because we don't we don't manufacture the products, we don't fire test them. So as long as we're installing them in accordance with how they've been tested. John, are you, are you kind of sensing a similar sort of move in the industry as Clive? <laughs> yeah, we're seeing the significant um, movement in that area. Um, Insurers, um, obviously, um, they're, they're pretty risk averse, so they're looking at ways of being able to mitigate any exposure. And fire at the moment has got a big risk label against it. So um, we're seeing that. In fact, speaking to colleagues um, across the industry, they're, you know, be it contractors or consultants, all seeing significant hikes in their PI. And also the type of cover that's being made available yeah. is being reduced. So we're seeing where uh, you know, traditionally we would have had 10 million um, each and every claim um, as a, a, a piece of cover. That's now moving to 10 million in the aggregate. And what that means is if you're working on a project and there might be a, a concern which you notify um, and there might be an exposure of that around two or three million, um, that might take a couple of years to work its way through 
to before you get resolution on that, which it's means you've you've only got seven million left that you can operate in. And there is, um, and I'm, I mentioned it yesterday at a conference, um, that there is a danger at the minute, and I think a lot of our colleagues need to look at the contracts that they already have in place, because they may have signed up uh, to a contract which has got ten million each and every claim. But suddenly the insurers are taking it off the market and it's no longer available. So, you know, in some respects, you could be in breach of contract. So there's a real need to go back, look at your so, insurance. So, so the responsibility in that case would be for the various fire companies to be notifying their clients that their insurance parameters have, have changed. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and it ultimately, does, does this sort of change in the industry? Are we, are we saying these sort of £2 million companies... You know, are we going to see a lot of fire companies going out of business as a result of these changes? Do you think? Or, well, again, I was speaking to um, a chartered fire engineer yesterday, whose premium has gone up. He was paying eight thousand pound a year as a sole trader, eight thousand pound a year as a PI cover. That's now gone up to eighty thousand pounds for one individual, um, to the point that that fire engineer is saying, "I'm not going to practice not anymore viable. in that in that area." Because, and that's, and that's the danger. You know, Which ultimately these, means there's going to be a shortage in the industry. Absolutely. And, uh, or they'll go and work for bigger firms. Yes. Yeah. The, that's the, what will happen. The bigger yeah. firms will just get bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because, it, you know, you, we, uh, I mean, a lot of the changes that are coming in, in, in our market is you're going to have to be fire S or third party accredited. You know, you're going to have to do digital recording of all your work. Yeah. Um, it, all the things that we've been doing as a company for years, I mean, we've been fire S for, 15 plus years um we've we've done the digital recording um we you know we our competency levels are through the roof but as as no one's made us do that that's just the direction we've gone so the smaller companies that haven't bothered with that because they can't afford to to suddenly implement all that in a short space of time um they're going to be in trouble right any more questions from you tom I have thousands. Okay, we'll have to get Clive back on again then. <laughs> and John. Thanks. We get John every week anyway. Well, he, he just doesn't go home. I know. He's just always here, he likes John, isn't he? He's always sailing. The other, just to, to end, I think the other risk with that insurance thing is that the reason PI in, increases is because of the perceived risk of your past work as well, particularly when it comes to things like facade design or passive fire protection or anything of that nature and the other thing it could do rather than create bigger companies it actually means people drop out of the existing companies and just start another one it, it could do the, the the bigger driver with the insurance premiums going up is the fact that the insurance companies see a risk they just get out of that market yeah yeah exactly and so you only you know where so if you had 50 companies you, we're probably down to 10 at the moment yeah. and we saw that with the approved inspector insurance didn't we when one one insurer out of two pulled out the market and effectively left 33% of the ai market with no insurance and the other ai insurer basically said we don't want to take any more risk on so yeah. those 33% just disappeared and then they wouldn't work for all the other AIs mm. so the risk doesn't actually change because there's still the same amount of work but it's just a, a way of trying to you know get the right premium it's, it's also interesting you know there's a big drive by by government to you know enforce you know better control around our industry which we I think would all subscribe to yeah definitely. Um, but the, um, the and they're creating some new roles out there you know Typically in high um, high risk residential buildings, you're looking at um, an accountable person that's coming yep. into play. You're also looking at a building um, safety manager for Duty those holder. buildings, and 
the question I think for me is, are these roles going to be insurable? Because some of the We've got to take liability. Liability on. that yeah. they're looking to sign off on these buildings is quite significant. Taking the liability on for the safety of a nineteen sixties built thirty story tower. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think insurance is going to want to touch that, do you? No. No. Right. We're going to have to um, cut it there. Time for a before quiz. Before you ask another quiz. Yeah, if we're going to squeeze in our general knowledge quiz, um, which we're going to ask Clive to take part on. Excellent. So it's our nine. Is it 60 seconds or 90 seconds? Uh, I think it's 90, 90 seconds. 90 second quiz. Okay. At the moment, who's at the top of the leaderboard? <sighs> this was your only job for the series, Tom. It was someone it, at the top with two. It was oh, Aaron John. With two. Aaron John. That's yep. why, because I thought his name was John Aaron. It's because we had Aaron John and John Powell in the same meeting and my mind was blown. Okay, so you get 90 seconds, Clive. Before you go, Clive, this is not a, um, a general knowledge quiz that's going to tax your mind. Throw logic to Out the wind. The okay. The quicker the answer, the more questions you get. The more questions you get, the more chance you've got to get getting one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like a child has created a quiz to try and make so his dad the bench used. Yeah. Uh, now you, you're about um, if if you get more than two, you're winning by quite a long way. <laughs> if you get less than two, you're very average. If you get null, that's also pretty average, really. <laughs> yeah. If right, you can get anyway, a minus go. number, we will impressed. Go. Tom, are you uh, timing? Um, we are ready to go in thirty six. 35. No, we're ready to go. Ready, steady, go. Clive, a dog was arrested in Seville in 1983 for what? Talking. Handbag snatching. In the state of Washington, a concealed weapon must be what? Knife. Under six feet long. In Denmark, there is a 20 kroner fine for not reporting what? Litter dropping. Your own or anyone else's death. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, you need a licensed engineer to open what? Letterbox. A soda bottle. In Japan, trade robots in factories have to pay what? Robots. Union Jews. <laughs> Keith Richard once said, I have no problem with drugs, only what? How many? How many what? How many I take? <laughs> How many I like? No, it was a uh, policeman. <laughs> <laughs> Shooter Waco or Waco, W-A-C-O. Shooter Waco was the original name for which soft drink? Coca-Cola. Nearly, Dr. Pepper. Pope Clement VII made it illegal for anyone else to eat what? Oranges. Mushrooms. In Mesquita, Texas, it's illegal for children to wear what? Dresses. This is unusual haircuts. And I think that's, that's a good, uh, I think that's a good rule. Sensible. In Georgia, it's illegal to keep what in your bathtub? Alligator. A donkey, nearly. According to a poll, newlyweds spend most of their time on their honeymoon doing what? Arguing. Beep, beep, beep. One point for arguing. <laughs> Just Excellent. Just on the buzzer, Clive. <laughs> Very impressed. Awesome. Right. Well, that's the end of the episode, Dave. That's the end of the episode. Who have we got next week? Um, crikey. Paul Bryan. We have got Paul Bryan. Yes. <laughs> Author of Strategic Thinking. Um, Clive, if anybody wants to know more about CLM. CLMfireproofing.com. Um, okay. Anything else you want to uh, push out there while we're uh, on air? No, I haven't got a film or um, no a books. Book. No, okay, no, excellent. Not yet, anyway. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming, Clive. John, as always, thank you very much for it's taking part. Been a pleasure. 
Um, if you want to come on the show in the future or you'd like to contact me and Tom, then you can contact us at Dave and Tom at openfirepodcast.com. Absolutely. Is that the right one? Yes. Has it not got Gmail written in there or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> I feel like it should have Gmail. No. Okay. That's it for this week then. We'll see you next week. Cheers, Dave. See you Thank later, you. mate. Bye. views expressed on this podcast are those of the persons appearing in the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Frankham or any of its officials. The appearance of guests on or the mention of third-party information, products or services or organizations within the podcast does not imply any approval, recommendation, certification or endorsement of them or of any entity they represent. Our podcasts are provided for general information only and should not be treated as substitute for professional advice or supervision from an appropriate property or built asset professional. Whilst all attempts are made to present accurate information, it may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances and the information presented in the podcast may become outdated over time. Frankham Consultancy Group and its subsidiaries here in Frankham make no warranty, guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the Open Fire podcasts. Any reliance on the information provided is at your own risk. Frankham does not assume any liability for the use of, reference to or reliance on the podcast or the information presented within. 